0: some time alone. I hope you enjoy this episode of Equipped to Be. You are listening to Equipped to Be. I'm your host, Connie Albers. You know, we are in season three and I am excited to be able to say Larry Loftus is joining us today for a discussion about his new World War II spy thriller that's coming out in March of 2023. Now, Larry joined us before in season one. He was talking about writing and writing for excellence and just the process. And oh, so many listeners were benefited from our conversation just because of his work ethic and, and really kind of pulling back the veil of a writer's life. But Larry has gone on since that time, and he's become a New York Times. Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international best-selling author of non-fiction spy thrillers. He has written The Spy Princess, which is the true story of the World War II spy, Aline Griffith, Codename Lise, which is the true story of a woman who became World War II's most highly decorated spy, and Into the Lion's Mouth. That one is interesting because it's the true story of Dusko Popov. He is a World War II spy, a patriot, and the real-life inspiration for James Bond. I bet you didn't know that. But his fourth book is what we're going to be talking about today. It's about a character, a heroine, actually, that we're most of us are familiar with, and that's the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Many of us have either read or have our children have read *The Hiding Place*. But what Larry has done is he has gone deeper and pulled out stories of even things Corey Ten Boom didn't share in her book through his research. And so this book called The Watchmaker's Daughter, it's the true story of World War II heroine Corey Ten Boom. I cannot wait to have this conversation and introduce you to his work. And let's just talk about Corey and her extraordinary life. As I have turned the pages, and several, like Publisher Weekly, have have talked about this immersive biography. It's well researched and often captivating of a remarkable woman. Reverend Franklin Graham says Larry Loftus has written a compelling account of the watchmaker's daughter, Corey Timboom, who survived the horrors of the World War II concentration camp. The persecution Corey endured led her to thank the Lord for turning a prison cell into God's training school. Can you imagine that attitude going through what she went through? That's pretty remarkable. And that's the power of the Lord. So if you would please welcome my guest and friend, Larry Loftus, to the program. Well, Larry, I'm so excited to have you back on the program. Uh, you know, since you were here the first time, that was back in season one. We are now in season three. You have these major accomplishments with your literary writing, and we're going to discuss something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and that's the story of Corey Tim Boom, which is what your book is about The Watchmaker's Daughter. So, having you come back and talk about this character at this point in history, I, I just want to deep dive into why. Why Corey? Why, of all the people you could have written about, did you choose Corey? And that's pretty just, it's kind of eerie with what we see happening in our country that we can learn a lot of applications just from The Watchmaker's Daughter and the story, the true story, the one that we never hear about, Corey Ten Boom. So, would you tell me, you know, just tell our listeners, why did you pick Corey Ten Boom?
1: Sure, my genre that that I've used for all of my books is World War II nonfiction, and I write them as thrillers. So that means I have to find somebody that did something exciting during World War II, and it has to be there has to be enough there that I can make a whole thriller out of it. It, it, it all has to be true, of course. So when I was researching, um, my mind kept going back to Corey because I was looking for someone in, in a different country. And because I'd already done my first book was on Disco Popoff, He was in Portugal, a spy in Portugal. Then the second was Codename Lee, so Det Samson was in France. Third one was Aileen Griffith, and she was in Spain. So I wanted a different country and a different spy agency. And so I, my mind kept going back to Codename Lee. So when I was doing research, uh, a good friend of mine, Susanna Hurt, whom you may know, said, you have to read The Hiding Place. And I'd heard, I, I knew of the book, I, I knew of Corey ten Boom, but I'd not read it. And so I said, why? And she said, because at the same time that Odette Sampson was there, the person I'm writing about in this book, in Ravensbrück, the concentration camp for women, Corey was there at the exact same time. And I thought, oh, that'd be great, because my subject was basically in a bunker, like a dungeon cell, and never got outside. So you didn't know what was happening on the outside of the of the camp because she couldn't, you know, she couldn't express that she never saw it. Well, Corey was on the outside, so that gave me both views from the inside in the bunker and then from the outside where Corey was. So when it was time to look for this, you know, next book, I kept going through my mind, you know, potential choices, and and my mind just kept going back to Corey. It was a different country, the Netherlands. And while she wasn't a spy, she was involved with the Dutch resistance, her whole family was. So I thought, okay, from, from that standpoint, this is a good candidate. However, is there enough there? And I have to do this with all my books. With all of my prior books, there been a prior biography or autobiography. So I have to check and make sure that there's more of the story to be told. So I read all of Corey's books and once, went to, you know, viewed her archives, which are at the... Uh, Graham Center at Wheaton College. So I spent four days going through everything. I mean, all of her passports, her notes, her scrapbooks, her letters from prison that were written in Dutch. I mean, everything's there. So after doing all the research, I realized that the hiding place was really less than 10% of the story and that I had to tell this story because there was so much more. There are there characters that didn't even appear in the hiding place. And part of it, I, you know, I, I struggle. Do I tell people why this happened? Corey didn't write The Hiding Place. Uh, two professional writers, John, Elizabeth, Cheryl, were the people who actually wrote the book. And they're writing it 30, you know, whatever it is, 34 years after Corey's been there. And so while they interviewed her, um, she's doing everything by memory. So, I mean, no one can remember everything. Well, fortunately, I, I found there was a, the first guy that was there. Uh, As a refugee, a Dutch boy, 18-year-old boy named Hans Polly, he kept a diary, lo and behold, of every day. And he was there longer than anybody. He was the one that said, we need to create a hiding place in this house. And he was the the one that first got involved in the resistance. So he's basically, after Corey, the most important person in the story. Well, he doesn't even appear in the hiding place. So I knew I had to tell the story, and then, you know, as I did my research, I'm like, oh, wow, this was scary, this was scary, this was scary. And that's what I want, because I I write my books as thrillers. I want them to read like fiction, it's just that it's all true. So that's how I found her.
0: You know, it's interesting, because I was reading uh, what Reverend Graham has to say about, you know, you have some glowing endorsements and Feedback from this book already, and it's just coming out. I I just imagine this being, you know, every one of your books uh, have be, almost not built on each other, but every one of your books have entered a new level. And I I feel like this is a, a story that's going to reach well beyond what you've already done. And those other books, like you're already an instant New York Times with the Princess Spy. I mean, that was just remarkable what happened with with that book. But with Corey, several comments were made just about how astounding. And and as I was doing some research just on what you had done and looking through the pages of the book, you gave us like who's who. So when when we're reading it, we don't have to try to figure out, okay, well, this is her sister, or this is her sister's daughter, or this is her dad, or And I love that about it because, like you said, I ran and pulled out my copy of The Hiding Place, which I read to my children when they were in high school. I think that was required reading uh, in high school. So with Corey, you probably have a fond affection or respect for each of the characters that you've really dived into so far. Tell me, what did that happen with Corey? How did this book move you or inspire you?
1: Well, there's two parts, and I'll just say there's the front end and the back end. On the front end, I mean, Corey was the way she was because of her family. Her mother died relatively young, and so Casper, her father, who was an absolute spiritual giant, you know, she just adored him, and he was her spiritual mentor, if you will, uh, really until he died. And, and so, but even even with her father. It was her father's father, her grandfather was the same. So you had this lineage of extremely godly people, godly men who who um, not only were devout Christians, but they prayed for Israel. They loved Jews. They saw them as God's people, and so that history travels through time for about a hundred years. So it goes. Uh, actually, starts uh, with Corey's great grandfather. So you can't really understand Corey unless you know what happened before. And it's and it's her great-grandfather, then her grandfather, then her father, all of that passed down to her. And when you look at the four kids in her family, um, Betsy and, and and Willem and Nolly, her other siblings, they're all spiritual giants. And, and it's because of that family, you know, goes back what you, what you teach, you know, about parenting. It all goes back to the parenting. Um, of her mother and father. And then, of course, when Cor dies, her mother, uh, Casper then is the leader of the family.
0: I love that you made that connection. Okay, so what's the back end? <laughs> so that's
1: the front end. The back end is, what ha- okay, what happens at the end of the war? And, you know, I tell people, Corey didn't do anything that millions of other people did. I mean, millions of other people were did far braver things, more courageous things, and suffered more. M- many millions with their lives you know gave gave their lives in in support of the the battle but what's different about Corey is that after the war she forgives everybody genuinely forgives them and starting with the germans and then in the story you'll read that she feels led from something betsy had said to her to minister to the Germans because they were the most broken of all people, the families who suddenly had no fathers, had no brothers, had no, you know, uncles, they're all gone, they're all dead, and everybody's homeless. So she she loved the Germans in that sense that she felt, I've got to minister to these people. So number one, she forgave the, gave the Germans. Number two, she forgave her guards at Ravensbrück, which is a notorious prison, a concentration camp, which I, I – talked about in depth in Codename Lease with Odette Sansom. It was just horrible. I mean, hundreds of women would die every day. They'd load them on a cart I and mean, they were all worked to death. They were on starvation rations. And then on top of that, you had these mean guards. And so Corey had to forgive the you know the guards. And she met one of the guys that, that, that was an SS guard who was the most mean of all of them And he he heard her speak. He'd become a Christian. And he said, oh, I don't know if you remember me. I was a guard there. And I just, you know, I'm a Christian now. And I just, I I just, you know, assume that you can forgive me. And her initial thought was, are you kidding me? This is, this is a guy, you know, that was worse than everybody. So there's a touching scene. I won't, I won't throw out a spoiler but there's a touching scene of what happens. But Corey ends up forgiving this man, even though he was the cruelest of all. And then finally, the hardest person to forgive was the person who betrayed the family to the Gestapo. And that person happened to be a Dutchman. And that was considered the worst of all because anybody you know that was a Quisling was a traitor. And so here her own countrymen betrayed her to the Gestapo, which sent not only her whole family into concentration camps, but took the lives of her, her father, her uh, brother, and then soon afterwards, her nephew. So um, anyway, all of that to say, she was able to forgive everybody completely, notwithstanding all the things that had happened to her. And that's pretty remarkable.
0: I think about today, you know, you said millions, you know, there have been so many other people that have suffered so much more, but there was something remarkable about her. So my as I said and I listened to you, I think that is so applicable to where we are, not in the sense of what she endured, but her ability to forgive and to turn around and serve. Um, and and that I think that's part of why I'm so encouraged by this book. One, you talk about the strength of the family and the importance of the dad in the family. And, you know, we're currently in a culture where everything is is downplayed and the family certainly isn't supported like it used to be, but yet you, you kind of go there and even if people unknowingly are reading this, they're making a connection of how important, or at least I hope that's what they see is parents matter, uh, dads matter, and they can shape their children for generations to come. And of course, God does the work, but they, the fathers have an integral part in the lives of their children. And the other is, there isn't anything that we can't forgive, that can't be forgiven, because as a Christian, you know, God has forgiven us much, and how much more are we supposed to forgive others? And I think there's an enormous piece there that as we read about her story of heroism and bravery and... Forgiveness. Maybe we could start to do some self-reflection in our own lives. Is are there people that maybe have done far less or or equal to? That we need to forgive, that we need to turn around and serve, and and that is only because of the indwelling work of the Lord in us. But when you wrote this, did you see any changes in your own life or in your thinking about the Christian faith or Corey's faith that stood out to you? In addition to what you've already shared,
1: not not other than the fact that not only are we called to forgive others, but that's difficult to do. <laughs> you know, when, when it really hits home, someone would really did, you know, wronged us in some way or hurt us in some way, uh, might have been malicious. Who knows? But Corey emphasized and, and I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't want to throw out a spoiler with one particular person. I'll just say she said, you know, and within her own mind, I mean, she she said this to herself there's no way I can forgive this person. No way. And then she just kind of said a quick little prayer. Lord, help me. You know, I, I can raise my hand to shake his hand. You know, I, I can, I can mechanically raise my hand, but you have to do the rest. You have to, you have to supply the feeling because I can't do it in my own power. I, you know, I hate this guy. And so I'll, I'll save what happened, but um, that's, that's, that's moving. I mean that's a moving but what I real what I realized was she's right that when we are so deeply hurt by something that somebody did that's caused us you know countless sleepless nights and she had a lot of sleepless nights over a couple of the people that were involved in the story and and we just have all this angst about it and hurt and for Corey to say, it's okay. You cannot do that in your own power. The, the, the hurt is too deep.
0: So with this book, how do you feel? I mean, you're like you said, the hiding place is less than 10%. And and you've really given life to a story that most of us, you know, I, I believe the hiding place, I think we were talking one time, like 10 million copies. I mean, there's millions and millions of copies sold, and that doesn't account for those that you buy at garage sales or book sales bookstores or passed along. So you're telling like the whole story, and when I was looking through some of this, you've you've even pulled up images, and those are in the book of her family and and pictures that probably most of us haven't seen. Um, they they weren't in the hiding place, and y- you go to and that's something people respect greatly about your work is you go to great detail to research to know what you're talking about, to know exactly what happened and when it happened and why it happened, and you put those pieces together in your unique way of turning it into a thriller, novel, but yet keeping that human side of it. And you made a comment in in the notes I was reading that beyond her heroism and her survival was her attitude to release. And we touched on this, but as, as you think about your own life. And as readers read this book, more than learning about Corey, more than her bravery and the horrible treatment that she had, which I can't, I have to confess, I cannot wait to finish the the book. I haven't. And listeners, I know um, you're hearing this and I'm just going to tell you, uh, I don't normally tell you to go buy a book, but I'm telling you go buy The Watchmaker's Daughter. Uh, Larry is an incredible author who's gifted and this story, I, I I think it's just a special one for me. I've read the other, your other books, and they're remarkable as well. But this one is just, I, I think because what's happening around our world, the uneasiness, the uneasiness in our culture, the, our culture itself globally, and even in our communities, there's so much happening. And I think for such a time as this, God put it on your heart, and you breathe life into it. So... My question for you then is, as this book starts to you know, hit the shelves, and I'm sure it's going to be, its probably already is, uh, with, pre, with pre-orders and such a bestseller, what do you see happening? Do you see a movie coming from this? Do you see, I think it's already been picked up in other languages. Uh, the rights have been purchased in other languages. I mean, this just, the growth is exploding for you with this book. What do you see next with the life of Corey Ten Boom or the impact?
1: Well, ironically enough, I mean, the Netherlands, of course, bought translation rights because the story's there. And they know who she is. But the other country that bought next and typically countries don't buy rights until after the book is out and they watch how it does in the U.S. But because of this story, the Netherlands bought right away. But the 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 ironic thing is the other country that's already bought is Russia. Now, they were one of our allies during World War II, but still, I mean, you, I, I would not have not, I would have not placed Russia in the top 10 of, uh, of countries that would have bought. Anyway, in terms of the movie scenario, I try not to count my, my chickens before they hatch because I've been to this rodeo three times before. All three of my prior books had significant interest. One, the first one in the lion's mouth, I had a TV deal. And and it was we had a producer, we had screenwriter, we had a director. But when I saw what they were planning to do, you, they, the screenwriters will do a treatment and then they'll show you when I saw what they were going to do. I'm like, I can't I can't authorize this. I can't do this because they were basically going to trash my character and and. You know, I'm like, look, I know the family. They're still alive. His wife is still alive. His sons are still alive. I'm not going to do this to them. And so I pulled it. So I pulled the plug and and killed, you know, what, what was a pretty far down the road TV deal. And then the next two books, Codename Lease and The Princess Spy, I had inquiries um on, on both. And, and in fact, on Codename Lease, we had three offers but they weren't quite, you know, what we thought was needed. Um, and so we passed, you know, on these. So while <laughs> it's always exciting, it's always exciting to for Hollywood to call you, but to get the football across the goal line is is very difficult. Now, having said that, as you may recall, The Hiding Place was made into a movie four years after the book came out. So in 1975, and it was very successful. They had a huge, in fact, I just um, posted something on Instagram about it. They had a huge world premiere in Beverly Hills at the Beverly Hills Theater. And it's just the sea of people as far as you can see. Um, Billy Graham was there. Pat Boone was there. Anyway, um, so... There has been a movie just about the, the little narrow part of, uh, you know, of the hiding place. So that should, hopefully that tells Hollywood, look, there's a movie to be made here, but, you know, we'll see.
0: Right, right. Okay, so we won't let you count your chickens for they hatch. So I'll <laughs> just do that for you. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about you've written about three strong women, brave, strong women. And with Corey, I love the – because – in our culture right now, there seems to be um, a putting down of women. Um, well, there's a putting down of pretty much everybody, but I love several, fo- like uh, Publishers Weekly made a comment, it's a portrait of a remarkable woman. And Booklist said, perfect for readers of biography and history. And, and on and on, I just keep looking at these reviews of the woman and her power and strength and here you've gravitated and you've written about three of them i love that because you can be a woman of great strength when your power comes from the lord you are able to overcome many hardships that come your way and 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 i think that's why for me this book is just riveting it's it's goes beyond uh, a story of of a woman who was taken captive and all, I won't, I won't share anything either, but her story and to have you entrusted with 90% of somebody's story and bring life and truth. And that's what we're hungry for. We want the truth. We want to know the real story, the rest of the story, the story that we haven't been able to see. And that's what you've dedicated. I think this was like two years in the making or was it longer than that?
1: Yeah, it was about two years. And the, the, the main thing that, that was moving me along was that this was a family ordeal. This wasn't just Corey. I mean, this happened in their house. And that's her father's there. And Betsy, who's her best friend and, and really became her spiritual mentor when her father died. Betsy uh, was in the house. They they were neither was ever married. And um Nolly her other sister and Willem had were both married now with kids, but they would come over to the house all the time uh, or Corey and the family would go to their house. So uh, these, the, the, the four children and their kids. So these would be Corey's nieces and nephews were all over this, this story. And, and they're not even, they're not even really mentioned in the hiding place and they're significant players. Like, Peter Van Warden, who was Corey's um, nephew, he was Nolly's uh, son. And then also Keek Ten Boom, his name was Christian, but he went by Keek. Keek Ten, Ten Boom was Willem's son. Th- he's almost omitted from the story. These are, And these were two giants. And um, I-, I won't spoil it, but I'll say one of them gave his life uh, in this endeavor. And one of them... Actually, to, to to hide the Jews would put you. If you got caught hiding Jews, you you would essentially go to prison or a concentration camp. However, if you helped a downed Allied airman, that was a capital offense. You would be executed for that. And one of these two of her nephews not only helped downed airman, he built in the woods a cabin. To hide them in. And that's I mean, you think about that, you, you're going to spend your your time to go out and build from scratch a cabin in the middle of the woods to hide down airmen and then and then to shuttle them in and out, in and out, in and out. So that that's, you, you know, it's a it was a family ordeal. I mean, when they're all arrested the father. There's 30 people essentially. There's the whole Ten Boom family, all the the resistance people that were there at the time, people that had come for Willem's Bible study on the day they were arrested. They're all. There's about 30 people, and Casper, the father, who's now 84, gathers them all together and asks Willem to read Psalm 119, which is really the the key Psalm for the for the book, or the key Bible verse for the book. You know, but he he asked him to read one, Psalm one nineteen, and then he prays for everybody. This is while they were being held in the essentially detention center before their hearing, and they're, they're shipped off to to prison. Uh, that that's remarkable leadership, you know, remarkable spiritual leadership.
0: In your bio, or in the in your media things that I was reading. Um you talk about this book is for Christians, it's for Jews, it's for those that are wanting to know World War II enthusiasts. Um, this is not something you normally broach into, uh, because like you said, they're for spies, you know, usually you write about spies. And I, I just think that having watched this take form a shape from a distance, obviously, um, but hearing of this makes me go you know god i believe is using you for this season and for this time to tell a story that needs to be heard because so many are struggling uh, abroad uh, in other countries and in our own country america and so uh, i'm excited to see how this book how god uses you and your work and your incredible um talent for telling these stories and writing these novels. Um, so I, I, I'm just humbled and honored that you would come on Equipped to Be and that we get to, to promote this book to our audience and introduce them to you or reintroduce them to you. And that, um, I just tell you, listeners, if you haven't read any of Larry's previous books, get them. They make great gifts. Read them, give them to your kids, especially get The Watchmaker's Daughter. Order that, read it to your family, read it to your kids, let it sink in, let somebody else's life story and the dynamics of a family, the way Larry has described, it was all, they were all in this and they were pulling for one another and they were facing insurmountable odds, Um, but yet they held to their faith. They served others. They forgave. And Larry, as we wrap up this show, because I want to honor your time, what is what, and by the way, friends and listeners, all of the show notes will be over at ConnieAubers.com. Uh, We'll have all the links to Larry's books, uh, to The Watchmaker's Daughter. We'll have his social media sites, So make sure you scoot over there and you follow him on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. He shares great points and tips uh, about some of his characters, about maybe some insights that you don't know. And I don't know what you have lined up, but I'm super excited to see it. But as we wrap up, Larry, leave us with a, a final thought of how this what you're hoping that the reader takes from this story that you haven't shared. I know you've shared a lot, so you may not have anything left.
1: No, the, the one thing I would add is with my prior three books, number one, they, they, they were not Christians. Um, so Corey is the first subject that I've written about that is a Christian. But they're also different in this respect. The prior three spies that I wrote about were all professional spies. I mean, Dusko Popov was trained by MI6 and MI5, and Udet Samson was trained by SOE, and uh, Aline Griffith was trained by OSS. These are professional spies going to work uh, during the war, whereas with Corey, she's not a professional anything. I mean, she's a watchmaker. And so she has no training in anything with espionage, no training about what the Germans do, no training about the Gestapo, no training about their methods and how they catch people, So she and her family, they're they're all amateurs. I mean, they're they're, they're less than amateurs. They're just (laughs) regular people. So this is, in terms of how do we apply this, this is a story of how regular people, just like you and me, went all in and, and committed to help the war effort at the risk of their own lives, you know? And uh, and and I think that's a remarkable part. Is they weren't they weren't professionals. They 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 were part of the Dutch resistance by choice, but they were in no sense any kind of professional. So I found that remarkable myself.
0: You know, just when you said that, I thought God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that's exactly what He did, and that's what. That's what you're doing with The Watchmaker's Daughter. So I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming on the show and I look forward to seeing the success of The Watchmaker's Daughter as it reaches and touches, you know, thousands, maybe millions of lives. Uh, again, I'm very optimistic for this book. So thank you for coming on the program, friends. Thank you for joining us. We're so humbled and grateful that you tune in every week. Make sure that you tell your friends and go over and subscribe to the podcast that way you can have it on your download wherever, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you tune in to Equipped to Be, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Larry, for being with us.
1: Thanks, Connie. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member, and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.